0: Uh, Turn with me if you would, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are officially in the last chapter, guys. Can you believe that already? Already. Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'll go ahead and give you a heads up in case you'd like to start looking. Um, We will be going through Mark next. So if you want to start looking and reading and praying through and preparing your hearts for the messages from that gospel, Um, That's where we will go next. Sometime in uh, mid-October, we'll start the book of Mark, um, early to mid-October. So just so you can plan ahead there and prepare. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, (coughs) we're going to be talking about children and parents. So we're still going through the household codes. um, So if you would rise with me, we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 6. We're going to stand in honor of the one who gave us his word. And then we'll dig in this morning together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning as a body, to gather on the Lord's Day to sing your praises as you've commanded. And we so joyfully uh, come in obedience to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another that we might glorify you uh, as Christ's bride. I pray you will help us to apply what we learned today to our hearts as we carry it through the week as there are so many families here, so many parents and children child relationships Every one of us are impacted by these verses today, and I pray that you will help us to apply that. For me, Lord, I pray that you will remove any hindrances, help me to be without nerves, uh, to speak confidently the word uh, that you have provided for us, and to uh, help the, the information to flow as your spirit would guide me, uh, and that we would learn and, and have that applied to our hearts by you. We love you and praise you in your holy name I pray, amen. All right, you can be seated. So the last three weeks, um, we went through household code number one. So household codes were pretty common um, in the culture of Paul's writing. Uh, They were were basically, this is how households should function in society. Greeks had them, Romans had them. Very common to have household codes of instruction on how the the family unit should function. And so we're in the, the second portion now. So the first one dealt with husband and wife. Today we're gonna deal with children and parents, and next week we're gonna do- deal with master and slave relationship, which was much more common in that time than it is now, but still some very helpful things for us to understand there. So we're dealing with household code number two today, and these are a couple things to draw your attention to by way of introduction so that we can understand the context that, that the, the reading of that letter would have. We can understand who was gonna be in the room um, and better understand how we can apply that to our culture today. So one of the first things to, to understand about the culture in the time of Paul writing this um, is the fact that the children were directly addressed was wildly unusual. Um, children were not considered to be part of normal adult life. Um, it would have been addressed to the fathers to command their children, not direct the, their children, not directly commanded or or um, given directly to the children. Which tells us that the early church had children in it um, because these letters were often read publicly. Um, in the small house churches where they met. So we know for a fact that Paul is writing this knowing that the Ephesian church was established with children in them. In fact, if you look through the historical records, um, it was generally speaking about 40% of the congregation of those early churches were children um, because they did adopt and and help the local. I'd say we're probably about that percentage here. (laughs) Um, So 40% were children. So we're right in line with that uh, today. So uh, very encouraging to see that children were involved in the church church congregation. They were not separated off. They were not sent to a different room. Um, so for those who would ask why Grace Covenant Church has such an important emphasis on children being part of our body, this is another prime example of that uh, because children are directly addressed by Paul, meaning they were part of the congregation. And it's a vital part of that congregation. Um, the, the plural of, of children also implies um, that boys and girls were present there as well. So just making sure that the idea of who was in the room, we are, we are understanding of that because as we go through here, it's important because I want to make sure that all the kids today, kids, teenagers, young adults, I want you guys to really listen to this, okay? There's, there's imperatives here for you, but parents, there's a lot here for us too. So uh, make sure that we understand who this is addressed to. And it's also important to understand culturally why it was so vitally important to have household codes for how children um, acted and how they followed their parents' commands and and did what they were asked to do. 50% of children in the time of Paul uh, died by the age of 10. 50% of all children died. The majority of them um, were working full-time jobs by the age of 7 in the Greek culture. Um, Childhood was not romanticized. It was not... Childhood was simply a very short time to get to being an adult. And all all parents were trying to do at that time was help their children survive. That's all parents were trying to do, um, culturally speaking. So what Paul is doing is giving us something different than what was normal for that culture. And I I point that out because what I'm going to give you from Scripture today, what what the the Scriptures are going to teach us as Christian parents is different than what the culture is teaching today. Um, It's different. It's categorically different. Um, And so we have to understand Paul was teaching uh, different than the culture of his day. We are going to teach and learn and understand it's different from our culture today and apply that as best we can. Because truthfully, Scripture uh, is applicable for all eternity, for all times, for all generations, for all cultures. Uh, We just have to understand how it does. Um, so, whenever we, uh, whenever we get ready to move through this, the last thing I want to address by way of introduction, because this text has been ripped out of context um, in some places, or not even so much ripped out of context, but, but abused um, in a lot of contexts, and especially hard right-wing conservative fundamentalism. Um, the, the, the portion of this text where it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, and that's where it stops i just, it, it's just the truth of the matter, right? Children obey. And yes, there's a part of that. But the vast majority of this text, the, the what we need to learn and the challenge that's here is yes, children need to obey, but parents, we need to be parents. The call of this text, of this household code, has much more weight on the parents than it does the children. So we're going to be addressing that today. So as we dig in here this morning, we're going to start in verses 1 through the first part of verse 2 of chapter 6. The first point this morning is the call on children. So we're going to talk first about the call on children. So kids, please listen. Um, Sit up, take some notes because I want us to understand that children obeying the Lord is right. This is the normal function of the household. This is how God designed the household to function. It's children to (laughs) obey parents. And so we're going to look at some of the details of that. So look at me with you, if you would, chapter 6, verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So We're going to stop there for just a moment. We'll pick back up here in in point 2, but I want to stop there at the imperative about the command that children do indeed have an obligation to obedience. That's a command. This is a different type of relationship. So if you recall back... In the household code first time around, the husband and wife household code, the wife was told to submit to the husband. We were very careful to understand that that is not the term obey, right? We even, if you remember that sermon several weeks ago, we looked at it and it does not mean the same thing that it does. And I even use this word obey here for, for children, but it is not the same thing. This relationship is different than what we've talked about so far, Children are simply to do what their parents tell them to do. It's an obligation of obedience. In Colossians 3.20, it echoes the same thing. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, of course, every time we talk about blind obedience, I want to make sure and, under, and, and, and not swing the pendulum too far. Um, clearly, if, if kids, if your parents tell you to do something that is wildly immoral, sinful against the clear direction of, of scripture, there's, there's grounds there for disobedience. But I would say that that doesn't happen as often as what children may want to think that it does. Okay? And so when, when we think about this relationship, kids, I want to make sure, teenagers especially, because as teenagers, we've all been there. Okay? All of us who have, are past that phase, remember, we suddenly think that we know better. And that this relationship is no longer a parent-child relationship, that I'm 13 now, 14, 15, that this is now a cooperative relationship and that I get to push back and I get to have my opinions and and that's not how life works. That's not what scripture says. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm just explaining what scripture is teaching because the true reality of it here is that the way this is worded Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The obedience is tied grammatically to in the Lord. The obedience to your parents is because your parents were given to you by God for a very specific reason. So that in obeying your parents, you are in fact obeying God. You don't obey your parents because you have to. Yes, you do have to. It's a command of the Lord. But your motivations should be, kids, your motivation for obeying your parents is because you are, in fact, obeying God and the structure of authority that he has placed over you. That's the point of what Paul is saying. This is not the same relationship as it was before. This is a different dynamic. And this authority has been set down for generations at the time that Paul writes this and centuries and millennia now that we're reading it today, but originally it was set down in Exodus 20 and verse 12. In fact, that's what Paul is quoting here in verses three and four, or excuse me, two and three. He's quoting Exodus 20 and verse 12, where it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives you. And we'll talk about some of the wording differences shortly. But I want to make sure and understand this, uh, kids understand, this has been established for a very, very long time. Long before you were here, long before I was here, and how we interacted with our parents. And when, we, when it comes to children obeying the parents, the opposite is displayed in Scripture as one of the most vile acts. Did you know that disobedience to parents' kids is associated with some of the most vile, sinful acts in all of Scripture? Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because disobedience to parents is is viewed by God in a pretty surprising way in these verses. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. I want to read that for you here. It says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, oh, disobedience to, disobedient to parents." Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the righteousness, the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So when we look in the context of what Paul is saying in Romans 1, we can see that those who are disobedient to parents are lumped in with those who are haters of God with those who are violent, murderous, boastful, and the list goes on. Those who are disobedient to God are lumped in with, children who are disobedient are lumped in with those who have done these, described as doing these vile things. Now I say that to put a heavy weight on what Paul is actually saying in Romans, or excuse me, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. This is how the household should function. In fact, when you look at Romans 1, not only do we see it written, but I think all of us have experienced it in today's culture, that the the society that is filled with children that do not obey is a true sign of a pagan society. The society that is filled with children that do not obey is the true sign of a pagan society. Because all those other things truly stem from children disobeying their parents. Because if you look back in context, and we're going to get into this more, but to give you a small taste, if you look back in context of Deuteronomy 6, and you see what the Jews were commanded to teach their children day in and day out, and you see what parents are, are called to teach their children, to admonish them and teach them and then instruct them in the ways of the Lord, as we'll see here, if we were instructing, if kids were obeying their parents, the depravity that we see, would, would the the tide that we see rising would be stemmed. I'm not saying it'd be perfection. All I'm saying is it would be stemmed. And so children have to understand that God considers your obedience to your parents extremely important. But there's also a command here in the first part of verse 2 that says, honor your father and mother. And so, really, when we think about honoring our parents, obedience fills out honor. The root of honor would be obedience. You don't honor someone that you don't listen to. If you don't respect them enough, because honor means respect, (laughs) hold in high regard. If we don't honor our parents, we are not going to obey them. The two go hand in hand. So, your honor, or excuse me, your obedience for your parents stems from. Your honoring of them. So, kids, you are to hold your parents in high regard. Now, I'm going to give you something that was, was very challenging for me this week. As an adult child, every adult in here is still a child of someone. Okay, well, Even if your parents may have passed away or whatever the case may be, but the, the grammatical context of honoring your parents is a... Present imperative. In other words, it's never stopping. It doesn't have an age cap. There is no age limit. Adults in here, and this is very challenging for me because my parents' relationship fell apart as a late teenager. There's a lot of disagreements, things that that we may not agree with what our parents do, and yet we are to still honor them. Now, as adults, the dynamic of obedience changes because we're adults and then we fall under Christ's authority more than our parents' authority, but there's still an aspect of honoring our parents as adults. What does that look like? To hold in high regard, to revere our parents. How that functionally and practically looks is based on your relationship with them. So I'm not going to give you things that that have to be to, to, I don't want you to think there's things that Josh can give you that means you're meeting the qualifications of this command. What I want you to understand is honor means to hold in high regard and reverence. Do we as adults hold our parents in high regard and reverence? That can be difficult sometimes. I'm speaking from my own perspective there, my own life. That can be very difficult and challenging to me. But we, as adults, we have to come to grips with what that looks like because we are setting the example for our children. How can our kids learn to honor us if we are not honoring our parents? There's a very interesting dynamic there that we have to think about as adult children. So a few things to apply that, that this, this really comes home in the fact that obedience is simply a part of honor. You cannot truly honor your parents if you are not obedient to them, kids. You can't. Obedience is a part of honor. And the last thing I want you to to, to log away these are the two points, main things I want you to apply from this first point. Obedience is a part of honor, and adult children are still to honor their parents. Still to honor their parents. Point number two, the promise of God. We're going to camp in point number three, so don't worry. The sermon's going to be its normal length. The promise of God. Verse, second part of verse two and verse three, it says, <coughs> which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. That little phrase, which is the first commandment with a promise, has actually carried a lot of discussion and debate throughout the years from theologians because verse uh, of the second commandment in Exodus 20 carries a, a, a small promise with it, but it's not a, a, the same wording as a promise. It's, I won't go into it. Just know this is the first one that carries with it a true promise. The first um, section of, of the, or excuse me, the second commandment of the 10 um, carries with it the outcome of doing this, not a promise. Um, so it's a little bit different. I, just, I didn't want anybody to go back and read the Ten Commandments later on today, and I hope that you will, and then go, uh-uh, there's a promise up here. No, there's, it, it's not a contradiction. Second Commandment doesn't have the same wording as the promise in the fifth. Okay. But when we think about it having a promise, this is a commandment that carries with it a promise. Remember, that's Exodus 20 and verse 12. Deuteronomy has uh, the repeat there when they reread the law in Deuteronomy. But it talks about honoring your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which your God gives you. Now, if you notice in verse 3 of Ephesians 6, Paul doesn't word it the exact same way. He says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, why does Paul change the wording? Paul changes the wording because we, my dear church members and brothers and sisters, are under a new covenant. We are no longer a covenant that simply says this is the land that you get to live in. We are under a new covenant. This is written not only to believers, but to those who have been dispersed. The diaspora of the Jews, the disbursement of the Jews, them being taken captive and taken all over the world. Paul is making sure they understand that this promise is not just for the land of Canaan, that this promise or is not only for um those who are in the land of Canaan, but also for those who are dispersed, wherever they may be, for believers, wherever they may be. He is applying the promise to the new covenant. And so when we see the promise of the new covenant, and that this commandment carries that promise, we need to understand that this is a promise very similar to that of the Proverbs. So when you think of the book of, the, of Proverbs and you see all these different things throughout Proverbs of if you do this, this will happen. If you, if you love your kids and discipline them, they'll never leave the faith, right? I've heard that applied sometimes. If you, if you do X, Y, or Z, A, B, C will happen, right? The Proverbs are words of wisdom, not promises that you can take to the bank, so to speak. So in other words, it's not a decree that God has an unalterable decree, but this is a promise in a normal, normative practice. So you then have to take into understanding of this sinful world that we live in. Because I think all of us would say we know people who were, by all accounts, good kids, right? Obeyed their parents, and they would die in a tragic car accident at 15. Right? We, we've all, or 16, or whatever age they may be. And so we have to understand that this is a promise of God for general normative life. In other words, when we talked about in verse 1, when we obey, children obey parents in the Lord, for this is right, this is the normative practice, this is how God has structured the household, when that happens... This then creates a positive generational cycle that then your kids know how to be parents and then their kids know how to be parents and your life is good and it's easier. Imagine, think of the stressed parents when we have kids that simply won't obey. And I think all of us have good kids in here. I'm not saying that by any stretch. Have you, have you ever seen, as, as parents in the foster system, I can tell you there are kids out there whose sole desire is to make your life miserable. Does that or does that not shorten your life? Think about it, parents. I mean, really. Right? When you think about your kids on their really bad days, this kid's going to be the end of me. Right? We've had those days. So when you think about parents obeying that this is right, the normative context is that when the family is functioning as it should be, Life is less stressful. There's less weight on, your, on you, who you are as a parent. The kids are not in trouble all the time. They're not constantly being disciplined. Do you get how this comes together? And kids, I want you to listen to this. Do you want your life to be easier? Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Parents, I think every parent in here would have a hearty amen and say, life would be easier if they would just do what I asked them to do. We're not perfect by any stretch. But life would be easier. The family functions when it's working as God has designed it to work. If there's nothing else you take away from the entire message today, please take that away. Because these household codes are given to us by Paul so that we understand how a household should function, so that it works in a peaceful, loving environment the way God designed it to work. So that we can live long and prosper in the land that God has given us, wherever we are, wherever that is today. Not to mention, we as children, all of us adult children now, but kids, as much as you don't want to admit it, kids, your parents know a lot more than you do. We've lived a little longer than you have. We've experienced life a little differently than you have. And part of living long and prospering is parents sharing the wisdom that God has given them in their life so that your life is easier. Parents pour out into our kids. We do. We pour out into our kids everything that we are and everything that we've been taught. We don't hold anything back, I promise. We are here, kids, To follow what God has commanded. I'm gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time in what God has commanded parents to do, so buckle up for that, parents. But kids, your life will be easier if you'll just listen to us, not only because that's how God designed it and that's the right way for a family to function, but because it's better for you. We know what we're talking about. Don't run out into traffic. There's a lot of moving cars. Getting hit by a two ton vehicle is not wise. That's just a very simple tongue-in-cheek example. I was I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was not intentional. It just popped in my head. <coughs> or sticking your hand in the garbage disposal. Let's change that, okay? <coughs> don't put salt on your in your cake. Put sugar instead. Okay? There's all kinds of things that kids just naturally don't know. And kids your life will be easier and better and more prosperous by obeying what your, your parents tell you because they have been given wisdom by God to do that. And honoring your parents will bear fruits of blessing from God. Honoring your parents will bear fruit. Calvin says this, obedience is the evidence of that honor which children owe to their parents and it's therefore more earnestly enforced. It will go well with you to honor your parents. There'll be peace in the home. There'll be obedience to God. Think about how much longer and, and, and better your life is when you're obeying God, ultimately. So we've talked about this from a perspective of it makes the home more peaceful. We've talked about this from a perspective of it helps you have wisdom, kids. But the most important reason, the biggest motivation for you to honor your parents is because God said to and you're ultimately obeying and glorifying Him. And that also leads you to a life of joy and peace. Now, that does not mean easy life, so don't hear me saying life is easy, but when you are in obedience to God, your life is full of a peace that you've never understood. When you're obedient to God and you're striving after His glory, it does change how you view life and how you view everything going on around you. Now when we think about honoring our parents, there's the peace in the home, but I want to read this particular quote from Bach. Uh, Daryl Bach, I don't know if anyone's familiar with him, has a fantastic Ephesians commentary, but he says, This is about how peace in the home and honoring one's parents throughout your life lead to peace and longevity. It's the ultimate application here, kids. God makes it clear that those who do this will receive the benefits therein. Those who obey and honor your parents will receive the benefits therein, wherever you are. That's a normative practice of life. And the last thing I want you kids, just, just hear me on this. Just do what your mom and dad say. God commands it. Do what your mom and dad say. It's simply that simple. And yes, we're going to make mistakes. And yes, our responsibility as parents are much higher. And we're going to talk about those in just a second. But kids, there is no excuse that you have to disobey because ultimately you're obeying the Lord. Even if you have sinful parents, which you do. Every kid in here does. Obey the Lord first. Okay, point number three. Parents, buckle up. Point number three, the responsibility of parents. The responsibility of parents. So verse four, we're going to look at verse four and the responsibility of parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I mentioned it earlier, but I want to make sure we understand that parents, this one verse has greater weight and responsibility than the three verses we just talked about for children. The words used here, we have to take the beggar responsibility. Yes, children are are supposed to obey. That is a fairly simple responsibility. But we as parents are to not provoke our children and we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is a lot there. So we're going to take our time going through this first thing I want to start with is that this does not mean that only fathers are responsible for being parents. In the context of this, he just came off the household codes and did say husband and wife, he's addressing both parents and then he says fathers because yes we have the responsibility as head to ensure that our homes are functioning well and that children are obeying but this is a tandem responsibility between a father and mother of being parents. So mothers, you don't get a free pass. Not that I think anybody does, or was thinking that. So when we think about the structure of this text in context of Ephesians, it helps us to understand the building blocks for a home that honors the Lord and that makes it conducive to raising children that obey. So I'm going to give you several points in a row here uh, that we can get from the context of this passage. So first, a home that is conducive to children obeying is built on a love for God. A home that is conducive for children to obey, parents, is a home built on the love of God. We've seen that all the way through the first three chapters, four chapters, now we're in the sixth chapter. All of Ephesians, over and over again, we have seen that we as individual Christians are built not only As individuals in the love of God, but as a church on the love of God, and now he's applying that same concept to parents. So we are believers first, saints of God, and we are to love him, parents. We are to love God first, for out of our love for God stems a love for our children. Understanding our position in Christ helps us understand how to parent better and how to use the gospel to parent and how God has given us grace as parents, we should be giving grace and understanding to our children because they are children, and they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to spill things and break the cups and and not close the door right and and all the things. But in order for children to obey, we have to build our homes on the foundation of a love for God. Secondly, this is wildly important, built on a love for spouse a home that is conducive to children being able to obey and love must be built on a building block of a love for a spouse. We just discussed the relationship between husband and wife. Parents listen to me in this. Your spouse is a higher priority than your kids. End of story. End of story. You love your kids, don't I know you do. So don't don't hear me saying that you don't but your spouse is a higher priority than your kids because you cannot functionally, we cannot functionally raise our children when we don't love our spouse. It will never happen. They will not see the love that we have for one another and be able to mimic that love. They will not see the love that we have for God in loving our spouse the way we're commanded to, and they won't obey. Do you see how the ill effects of, of that can trickle down very, very quickly? So it must be built on a love for God. It must be built on a love for spouse. It must also be built on clear expectations for our children. It says right here in the text, to teach them the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to give them clear expectations. Has anyone ever worked a job where the expectations were so murky and muddy, you never did anything right? It just never felt like you ever did anything right, right? It it didn't matter. You didn't have good expectations. You didn't know exactly what you were supposed to do or when you were actually doing something that you were told to do or whether you were failing again. One of the most devastating and disappointing things for our children is to always feel like they're doing something wrong, but they can never do it right. And so clear expectations helps with that. And the expectations that we have to have are standards from Scripture, parents. They are standards from Scripture. These expectations are to be disciplined and instructed in the Lord, of the Lord. It does not make many use. That's not what it means. (coughs) There was a big thing in our culture, in our society years ago, and I, I was... One of the parents raised many of the versions of themselves and everything had to be who they were as parents, not about who the kid was and who God made them to be. There is an aspect of, yes, you want them to be obedient and they're going to pick up your personality traits and there's all of that. But I think we all have seen the extreme measures of little versions of the parents and they're going to be held to their standards and their haircuts and their clothing style and their sport preferences and on and on the list can go. Anybody seen that before? Or is that just me? And that is detrimental to our children because the expectations have to be biblical. They have to be biblical. We want our, to raise our children in a fear and admonition of the Lord, not a fear and admoni- admonition of Josh or whatever the parent's name is. Another expectation, or excuse me, another building block, is understanding the expectations God has for us as parents. This one's big. This one's big on my heart. We are responsible for raising our children, not outside institutions. We are responsible for that. And there are circumstances in a sin-broken world where there are, a single parent has come to no know, know faith in, in the Lord and they have to use babysitters and they have to use daycares and those kinds of things, but... In a normative practice, parents are to raise their children. That is our expectation for That is the expectation God has for us. That we are to raise our children, not outside institutions. And I could go on and on in that, but I don't want to. Um, to give you, I don't, I don't want to, to bring my own expectations here. All I'm going to do is leave it at a general. We are to raise our children. That is the expectations that God has for us as parents. So, so far we have a love for God, a love for spouse, clear expectations for children, clear and understanding expectations for us. Number five, we must not use unbiblical parenting methods or priorities. Again, this stems back to the verbiage of discipline and instruction of the Lord. We must not use unbiblical parenting methods or priorities. Because the world will give us many things to do as parents, all vying for our attention. You can't open up Facebook and scroll for five minutes without seeing different parenting ideas and schematics and this is the best new thing and this is the political... What It, it happens, right? Am I wrong? You can find it anywhere. Self-help chat section for parenting and bookstores is astronomically large. There's, just, there's so many opinions and options out there. But there's only one book that actually has the creator's words of wisdom and how to handle it. It's right here. And there's only one thing that can truly parent, that parents can truly use for their kids correctly, and it is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know you can parent with the Gospel? You can. You absolutely can. And when you parent with the Gospel, it changes everything within your home. There are less fights, there's less consternation, Because when you parent with the gospel, you understand that you, too, were a sinner. And still are. You understand that God had to give you grace to even stand before him and talk to him. You understand that you are not perfect. And so when you understand that you're not perfect, you then understand that you're parenting. Guess what, guys? Your parenting isn't perfect. And so then you start to begin to understand that you can make mistakes, too. And that your kids are depraved individuals without God. And you can't expect them to live according to the law of God when they don't and aren't converted. They, they, they don't have the ability to do it, guys. Yes, they're supposed to obey, but if they're not converted, they physically cannot do it. Now, they can do some behavior modification, and God is gracious and sometimes gives us kids that, that although they're not converted yet are pretty good kids, right? I think that's part of the blessing of having a Christian home. I truly think that is one of those blessings. But parents, our kids cannot live up to the law of God any better than you, kid, before conversion. You have to remember that. Because if all you do is beat them with the law and never give them the grace and and the gospel of Christ, you're doing the same thing that the Pharisees did the Jews all those years ago that that Jesus constantly got on to them about. We have to parent with the gospel. It is a wildly different conversation when you have to get on to your kids, and you go, hey, you know, I totally get it. When I was your age, I see so much of me in you, and I struggled with this exact same thing. And this is so incredibly hard, and there are consequences for it. Please understand, there are consequences, but I love you. Regardless of what you've done, I love you anyway, and I want what's best for you. And so because I want what's best for you, we are gonna have some discipline, but I want you to know that even though you've sinned, and that's ultimately what has happened, So you're pointing them back to Christ. Even though you've sinned, and even though I sinned when I was your age, Christ gave himself for you, just like he gave himself for me. And then you can transition that conversation into constantly talking to your kids about the gospel. And it takes more time. It takes more effort as a parent. It does take a lot more, but it is worth it. It is worth it to parent with the gospel. And there's more I could say about that, but if you really want to see a really good treatise on parenting with the gospel, there's a book by Paul David Tripp called Parenting. (coughs) Fantastic read. So the last building block is to train them up in the Lord, which we've kind of touched a little bit about throughout. But we must train them up in such a way that they see their ultimate authority as God himself. How many kids have we seen raised in a strict church, They followed all the rules until suddenly they were no longer under dad's authority and all bets were off. Right? How many of us have lived that? This guy right here. Okay? Don't do it, kids. It's not worth it. But what I will say is a flaw of parenting that happens a lot in Christian homes is do it because I say so with the first part of this verse, children obey your parents, and then it stops. And we don't finish with in the Lord or because it's right, because God's the authority, because ultimately you're obeying God, not me. And there's no way to transition that authority out from under us to God so that when they're living on their own and they're making more decisions as they get older and they're growing up and then they're off to college, they go, great, now I'm free. And they have no authorities whatsoever. So we have to have the foundation being training them in the Lord and understanding that our kids have to transition to God being their authority at some point in their lives. So those are some some building blocks. Now, I want to come to the second part here, or or a phrase, it's not even the second part, but a phrase here, that I think fathers probably have more of a preclusion to do, or a, 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 where's it gone? Uh, Yeah, there, thank you. Um, That have a, a, yeah, that. They do it more often. There we go. Wow, did you guys see how long that took? (laughs) Holy smokes. Okay, so prone. They're more prone to do it. There we go. That's the word. Fathers are more prone to do this, okay? But do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3.21 uses a different word. I'm so glad Paul used a different word. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Mothers are, are, are more of an emotional connection and a nurturing idea comes easier for them. So mothers have less of a tendency to do that but still can. But fathers, we're the authority and we're the head and we're always going to be right. I don't care if what we're doing is blatantly hypo- hypocritical and double standards and everything. We're going to be right. Is there any faster way to exasperate someone? Is there any faster way to provoke someone to anger than a clear, unjust decision or authority? All of us in middle America, I would say, are pretty frustrated with how our government runs, right? Because it seems like there's clear double standards. COVID, if COVID didn't show us there's clear double standards, I don't know what did, or what will. And how many of us were absolutely infuriated by double standards? Do our kids get infuriated by double standards? You bet. Do they have a reason to be infuriated by unjust laws and rules? Absolutely. And how dare we get frustrated with them because of it? Now, kids, don't hear me say you can call everything unjust and get your way. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, parents, is that we have to evaluate ourselves and especially our decisions in the moment because we have to put our ego aside. Men, that's the biggest thing for us as parents is we're going to be right. I'm just, I, this is from my own experience. We have such a desire to be right because we're the head and we're the leader and we're always going to be right and we are more intelligent and wise and more life experienced. so we have ways of making things sound like we're always right even though we, we know it's not. We know it's not. But we're going to make it look like it is anyway and our kids suffer for it. Because in Colossians 3.21, it says, so that they will not lose heart. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Do you want to drive your kids away from the gospel? Have unjust regulations and rules. Because our kids equate us with the authority of God. And they should. But how we interact with them will have lifelong long. Impacts on how they view God and interact with Him. Lifelong impacts. And that's a big responsibility, fathers. It's a big responsibility. And that's why I'm being so passionate about this, because I am guilty of making sure that I'm always right and the kids are always wrong. And that is not how life works. We are not to provoke our children to anger, we are not to exasperate them. It doesn't mean we don't have standards, but we have clear expectations. We have clear instructions from Scripture. We parent them with the gospel, and we are consistent. And there are times, one of the biggest bondings, bonding conversations that you will ever have with your kids is when you apologize for being wrong. You want to to bond with your children, to deepen that relationship, you set them down and you go, hey, earlier, I was super wrong. I lost my temper, I had unjust rules. Whatever the case may be, admit you're wrong, tell them you're wrong, Look to Christ and point them to Christ too. And go, I know Christ has forgiven me. I hope that you will forgive me as well. And I will endeavor not to do this going forward. And that's a difficult question as a father, or a different conversation, excuse me, difficult conversation as a father. But it has to be done. So our children need to be nurtured, not provoked. uh, it It was said about this passage, the exasperation described here refers to a righteous resentment of actions or attitudes inconsistent with one's faith commitments. An exasperated child is one who has a right to be provoked because of the incongruities between a parent's stated beliefs and that parent's actual behaviors. Have you ever thought about your life and how you handle the situation with your kids being so dramatically different from the faith that you profess. Kids are intelligent and they will pick up on that. They absolutely will pick up on that. <coughs> if you stand up and, or hold them with your rules and your family meetings or however you choose to, to communicate with your kids that this is the way things are and you give them the standard, you give them the why and then you blatantly turn around and live against the principles that you laid down for them they will pick up on that. That, too, will provoke and exasperate your children. That, too, will drive them away from the gospel. Live out that you are Christians first. You remember the foundational blocks that we had for a home that functions? We talked about them, 6, 7. All of those help prevent what we're talking about now. Write down Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But God takes this very seriously because one of the first commandments that he gave... To them, to the Israelites, was that they were to teach their kids and that kids were to listen to their fathers and their grandfathers for their wisdom that they had and the instructions in the Lord. Training them up, disciplining them. And, and discipline and in, 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 um, instruction are, are two things that we have to understand, go hand in hand with love. The motivation for how we discipline and train, because so many people read this word discipline here, discipline instruction is I'm going to get the belt off or I'm going to get the switch off the tree and we're going to go to town, right? And there may be times for that. I'm not against that kind of, of, of punishment if that's what works in your home. Um, I'm not. We're not going to go down that rabbit trail. But what I do want to understand is discipline here actually means training. Discipline here means training. Yes, we need to discipline our children. God disciplines us in Hebrews chapter 12 because of love. But here, discipline actually means to train them, to instruct them. And so what discipline does mean, what training does means, is that we love them. We can see that from examples in Scripture. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, "'He who holds back his rod hates his son, "'but he who loves him disciplines him diligently.'" So we know that discipline, you have to love your children. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, I won't read the whole thing again for sake of time, but if you read Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, it goes through the the description of God instructing and training and teaching and disciplining his children because he loves them. But discipline also means that we instruct and reprove them, that we do have to correct them. In training, if you think of any athletic training, any vocational training, they have to tell you when you're messing up. They have to. You're not gonna to learn to do better if they don't tell you when you're messing up, right? So you have to instruct and reprove as part of discipline. But you also have to nurture them. If all kids ever hear they do everything wrong, are they ever gonna do anything right? Nurturing them, loving them, showing them that they can truly do things, celebrating the wins, but discipline, most importantly, discipline trains them to obey God. And we've talked about that a few different times. The kids, I want you to hear me on this. The phrase "this will hurt you more than it hurts me" is absolutely true. Have your parents ever disciplined you and go, "This is going to hurt you more than it hurts me"? Think about that for. Yep, did I say it backwards? <laughs> Everybody gives me a funny look. I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt me. This is going to hurt me than it hurt more than it hurts you. Man, I was on such a good roll there for a minute too. Maybe there's times you wanted to say, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, okay? Can I get an amen on that one? But in reality, kids, if your parents ever had to say to you, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Because as a parent, there is constantly a struggle between the love that you have for them and the discipline that you have to have to instruct them. There's a love, there's, there's this tension there, there's this battle there, but truly the best way that parents can show love to their kids is to discipline and train them in justice equity, and in the Lord. That is the true showing of love. We have to teach them to obey. But discipline doesn't mean that you're being tyrannical. It does not give you free reign to be a tyrant. Nor does it give us rise to make small versions of ourselves, as I addressed earlier. Instruction means to train up a child, Proverbs 22, 6. Instruction means to train up a child according to his way. Even when he was old, he will not depart from it. The greatest instruction that we can give our children is that of the gospel. So I'm breaking down those, these two words so that we can apply the building blocks that we had from a moment ago. So the greatest instruction we can give our children is that of the gospel. So I want to give you some examples here as I get ready to close. And I, and I want to bring this to our attention because these numbers, I've, I found a Harvard study that I'd like to read some numbers from. Because in our culture, the presence and effectiveness of parents has been overall abysmal and getting worse. And now we're in this, this cycle where we're reaping the consequences of a generation that doesn't have good parents the next generation doesn't know how to, and we're, we're in this cycle. And we're reaping the benefits of it. So I wanna share you with some alarming information. This is a, a Harvard Law School study with 2,500 male offenders from different prisons, reformatory, correctional schools, jails, prisons, those kinds of things. So I'm just gonna read a portion of this. If you want the whole study, I can tell you where it's found. And I quote, oh, and then they also, excuse me, they also had a second group that were, um, that were not offenders. Delinquents and criminals, so those who were offenders, tend to come from homes in which discipline is over strict or erratic. Supervision is unsuitable. Neither parent shows warmth or love and there is little or no closeness of family members. Non-delinquents are more apt to come from homes in which discipline is firm but kindly. Supervision is suitable. Parents show affection for the child, and the family does many things together. As, as was mentioned in comparison with non-criminals, very few criminals come from homes in which the discipline is firm but kindly. That's a key phrase. Research in the area of child development shows that firm but kindly is optimal. And it goes on to explain, someone did a 10-year study of parent-child relationships and found that authoritative parenting in which the parents exert firm control without hemming the child in with too many restrictions is more apt to produce a motivated, friendly, moral, and cooperative child than either authoritarian parenting in which the parents attempt to shape, control, and evaluate all the activities of the child or permissive parenting in which few demands are placed upon the child who is permitted to do whatever he or she pleases. The children of authoritarian parents tend to be discontented, distrustful, and lacking in warmth, while the children of permissive parents tend to be the the least self-reliant and self-controlling of all three groups. Children reared permissively are often said to be spoiled and may become tyrants who rule over their own parents. Does anybody ring a bell with anybody? So what they're saying is, here's the key phrase, firm but kindly. Firm but kindly. I think everything we just learned from this passage is firm but kindly, is it not? Isn't it amazing that God gave us what we're supposed to do to have successful homes 2,000 years ago? Longer than that because of the Old Testament. I'm just saying Paul wrote this letter about 2,000 years ago, okay? But since the foundation, God has said what makes a functioning family. And then what from what stems from functioning families? Functioning healthy societies. And so I am so passionate and adamant about this because we have got to correct what culture has let digress because it has infiltrated the church and we parent like the world instead of parenting like God said. So we have to fix that as a church because a foundation, I've said this on last household code for both husband and spouse, or husband and wife, excuse me, but also on this household code, a the foundation for a strong, healthy, unified church is strong families. And so we have to get the family right. So the application here is that we have a huge, parents, we have a huge impact on the lives of our children. I think we all knew that already, but if we didn't before, we do now. But the real question comes is what kind of impact will you have on your children? Because every child that I read about in that study, their parents had an impact on them. Every single child. But what kind of impact did it have? Because we as parents have a responsibility to bring up our children in the Lord in the kind of home that he's instructed for us to develop to his glory. And the balance of parenting is a hard line to walk. So please understand, I'm not making this out to be easy. The balance of parenting firm and kindly is extremely hard to walk. Moms, when you've had all day with the little kids and they've ran around and screamed and you've had to go to the grocery store and everything's has fallen apart and then the toilet overflows and the dog pooped again and on and on and on and on and all the things go, that is the last time you want to sit down and have a calm, cool, and collected gospel conversation to correct your child for the 17th time that day. I get it. Dads, when we get home and we're tired and exhausted and we've dealt with the world all day long and we just want to come home to a peaceful and tranquil, serene environment, the last thing we want to do is have a gospel conversation with our kids to correct them. Look what you've done to your mother. That's what you want to do. Right? But the kind of conversations we have to have are those gospel conversations. And it's hard. It's very hard. But God gives us the strength. So, in conclusion, that's what I want to finish with. If you haven't done it recently, go back and read Ephesians 1 through 3 this afternoon, parents. Because the only way that you're going to accomplish what everything that that God has laid out for us here is if Christ is strengthening us. Identify who you are, understand who you are in Christ. Because everything that Paul has instructed here is extremely uncommon in our culture. It just is. This isn't what the culture says is right. And so we are literally going to be swimming upstream as parents who do it the right way, which is God's way. And so we are going to have to have the strength of the Spirit. We're going to have to be reinforced by those around us in the church who have the strength of the Spirit to help lift and encourage, to lean on one another, to say, you know what my kid did? How did you handle this? Here's what my other kid did to the other kid. How do I handle that? Right? So look back to Ephesians 1 through 3. Identify the place that you are which is united to Christ because it is only in his strength that we will live to glorify him as the parents he's called us to be. Don't forget that. Because it's going to be a lot and it can be weighty and then when you think about I've got to be the spouse that God has called me to be and I've got to be the parent that God has called me to be you might as well just throw everything down and walk out, right? But that's not what we're called to do because Christ is in us. So we look to him and we rest in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together this morning to study your word. Thank you for the impact that this passage has had on me as a parent this week and I pray that others will be encouraged to look to you for the strength that we need for the what can seem as an overwhelming task to parent as you have called, as you have called us to parent. I pray that we, we will lean on one another, that those parents who have older children will help those who have younger children, that we can look to one another to point us to Christ, to remind us that we are doing what he has called us to do. Even on the days that we struggle, we are still pursuing him. And that it doesn't mean perfection, it just means that we're looking to him. encourage one another, Lord. Help us to do that. We love you and praise you. In your holy name I pray. Amen.